Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Religion, Reality or Substitute by C.S. Lewis Part 1 Epigraph Hebrews 10.1 The Law Having a Shadow of Good Things to Come We are all quite familiar with this idea, that the old Jewish priesthood was a mere symbol, and that Christianity is the reality which it symbolized. It is important, however, to notice what an astonishing, even impudent claim it must have seemed as long as the temple at Jerusalem was still standing. In the temple you saw real sacrifice being offered. Real animals really had their throats cut, and their actual flesh and blood were used in the ritual. In Christian assemblies, a ceremony with wine and bits of bread was conducted. It must have been all but impossible to resist the conviction that the Jewish service was the reality, and the Christian one a mere substitute. Wine is so obviously a substitute for blood, and bread for flesh. Yet the Christians had the audacity to maintain that it was the other way round, that their innocuous little ritual meal in private houses was the real sacrifice, and that all the slaughtering, incense, music, and shouting in the temple was merely the shadow. In considering this, we touch upon the very central region where all doubts about our religion live. Things do look so very much as if our whole faith were a substitute for the real well-being we have failed to achieve on earth. It seems so very likely that our rejection of the world is only the disappointed fox's attempt to convince himself that unattainable grapes are sour. After all, we do not usually think much about the next world till our hopes in this have been pretty well flattened out, and when they are revived we not infrequently abandon our religion. And does not all that talk of celestial love come chiefly from monks and nuns, starved celibates consoling themselves with a compensatory hallucination, and the worship of the Christ child? Does it not also come to us from centuries of lonely old maids? There is no good ignoring these disquieting thoughts. Let us admit from the outset that the psychologists have a good prima facie case. The theory that our religion is a substitute has a great deal of plausibility. Faced with this, the first thing I do is to try to find out what I know about substitutes and the realities for which they are substituted in general and I find that I don't know so much as I thought I did. Until I considered the matter, I had a sort of impression that one could recognize the difference by mere inspection if one was really honest, that the substitute would somehow betray itself by the mere taste, would ring false. And this impression was, in fact, one of the sources from which the doubts I mentioned were drawing their strength. What made it seem so likely that religion was a substitute was not any general philosophical argument about the existence of God, but rather the experienced fact that for the most of us, at most times, the spiritual life tasted so thin, or insipid, compared with the natural. And I thought that was just what a substitute might be expected to taste like. But after reflection, I discovered that this was not only not an obvious truth, but was even contradicted by some of my own experience. 
I once knew two bad boys who smoked secretly and stole their father's tobacco. Their father had cigarettes, which he really smoked himself, and cigars, a great many cigars, which he kept for visitors. The boys liked cigarettes very much better than cigars, but every now and then there would come a day when their father had let his supply of cigarettes get so low that the boys thought the theft of even one or two would inevitably be detected. On such days they took cigars instead, and one of them would say to the other, I'm afraid we'll have to put up with cigars today, and the other would reply, Well, I suppose a cigar is better than nothing. This is not a fable I'm inventing, but a historical fact that I can vouch for. And here, surely, we have a very good instance of the value to be attached to anyone's first hasty ideas about a reality and a substitute. To these children, a cigar was simply an inferior substitute for a cigarette, a pis aller. And, of course, the boys, at that stage, were quite right about their own feelings. But they would have become ludicrously wrong if they had therefore inferred that cigars, in their own nature, were merely a kind of makeshift cigarette. On that question, their own childish experience offered them no evidence. They had to learn the answer from quite different sources, or else to wait until their palates were grown up. And may I add the important moral of the story? One of these boys has been permanently punished by a lifelong inability to appreciate cigars. Here is another example. When I was a boy, gramophone records were not nearly so good as they are now. In the old recording of an orchestral piece, you could hardly hear the separate instrument at all, but only a single undifferentiated sound. That was the sort of music I grew up on. And when, at a somewhat later age, I began to hear real orchestras, I was actually disappointed with them, just because you didn't get that single sound. What one got in a concert room seemed to me to lack the unity I had grown to expect, to be not an orchestra, but merely a number of individual musicians on the same platform. In fact, I felt it wasn't the real thing. This is an even better example than the former one. For a gramophone record is precisely a substitute, and an orchestra the reality. But owing to my musical miseducation, the reality appeared to be a substitute, and the substitute a reality. Substitutes suggest wartime feeding. Well, there too I have an example. During the last war, as at present, we had to eat margarine instead of butter. When I began doing so, I couldn't tell the difference between them. For the first week or so, I would have said, you may call the margarine a substitute if you like, but it is actually just as good as the real thing. But by the end of the war, I could never again have mistaken one for the other. And I never wanted to see margarine again. This is different from the previous examples, because here I started knowing which, in fact, was the substitute. But the point is that mere immediate taste did not at first confirm this bit of knowledge. It was only after long experience that the margarine revealed itself to my senses as the inferior. But enough of my own experiences. I will turn to a better man, to Milton, and to that scene which I used to think the most grotesque, but now think one of the most profound in Paradise Lost.
I mean the part where Eve, a few minutes after her creation, sees herself in a pool of water and falls in love with her own reflection. Then God makes her look up and she sees Adam. But the interesting point is that the first sight of Adam is a disappointment. He is a much less immediately attractive object than herself. Being divinely guided, Eve gets over this difficult pons asinorum and lives to learn that being in love with Adam is more inexhaustible, more fruitful, and even better fun than being in love with herself. But if she had been a sinner, like ourselves, she would not have made the transition so easily. She also would have passed through the stage of finding the real, external lover a second best. Indeed, the region from which this example is drawn illustrates my theme better than almost any other. To the pervert, normal love, when it does not appear simply repulsive, appears at best a mere milk-and-water substitute for that ghastly world of impossible fantasies which have become to him the real thing. But every department of life furnishes us with examples. The ears that are delighted with jazz cannot quite believe that classical music is anything but a sort of vegetarian jazz, to quote my friend Barfield. And great literature seems to vulgar taste at first a pale reflection of the thrillers, or triangle dramas, which it prefers. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>